And I think the other piece is really just thinking about how do we create that that custom experience for each person that's going to feel comfortable and kind of meets their needs in the moment and, and doing that in a way that, that has a lot of flexibility built in. Welcome to Virtually Live by Cultura. In this podcast, we'll try to sum up all the latest and greatest in marketing and specifically in event marketing. To help us do that, we've invited prominent marketing and business leaders to share their most important lessons and give their best predictions for the coming years. In this week's episode, Kaltura's Senior Director of Education, Ira Gluck, speaks to Jennifer Reagan Four, ISTE's Chief Experience Officer, and their Senior Director of Event Logistics, Stephanie Arnold, about how to apply the insights learned from the past two years to upcoming virtual events. Hello, everybody. My name is Ira Gluck. I'm the Senior Director of Education at Kaltura, coming to you virtually live from a classroom in my hometown of Bethesda, Maryland. With me today are Jennifer Reagan Forrest, Chief Experience Officer and their Senior Director of Events Logistics, Stephanie Arnold. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, Jennifer. Hello. I'm coming to you virtually live from our ISTE offices in downtown Portland, Oregon. Hi, Ira. I'm coming to you virtually live from Portland, Oregon as well, but my home office. And before we get started today, for those that are in the audience, can you tell us a little bit about yourselves and ISTE, the organization? Sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having us. We're really excited to be talking with you today. Um, We both work for the International Society for Technology in Education, um, and we're really focused on helping educators bring innovative practice to their work and improve outcomes for students. Um, I'm ISTE's Chief Experience Officer, and I'm responsible for our events, membership, and marketing teams. And Stephanie is uh, one of my amazing senior directors on my events team. Wonderful. Yes, Stephanie Arnold. I'm the Senior Director of Event Logistics. Um, And really everything focused on our annual conference uh, and making sure we bring educators together and they're able to connect with each other. Our community is very vibrant uh, and loves to, to join together every year for best practices. So as we get started, you know, one of the questions that I'm sure is on everybody's mind with the past year and a half, you know, it, this COVID has created a series of challenges for the education industry. It's not only been education, all of us as parents in business, as consumers, we've felt this as well. But can you tell us a little bit about what this was like over the past year and a half for educators? Yeah, I mean, almost overnight, all instruction shifted from, you know, to online learning almost overnight. And the process was really hard for everyone. As you mentioned, everybody was dealing with their own anxieties and and situations with the pandemic. But I think for educators, some were really well versed in the tools. Some had all the tech resources they needed, but many did not and were not prepared for it. Um, There wasn't time for prep. Students were not consistently resourcing the tools that they may have needed. So everybody was dealing with with different pieces there. Um, I think for educators, it's been, you know, different things over different phases. Initially, it was a lot about sort of learning um, and getting what they needed just to kind of get started with it. And then there's been a lot of uncertainties up and down. But I think that, you know, one of the things that is true now is we're hopefully starting to come out of the pandemic is it would be understandable for educators to want to just go back to how things were pre-pandemic. We're hoping that that won't be the case and that we'll be able to use everything we learned from this crisis and all the ways that they were able to pivot and and try new things um, and be able to really do something different with education. So the way we went to remote learning and online learning, emergency remote learning was not the optimal situation, but I think that there's really an opportunity here to do things differently and to build on everything that we've learned these past two years. 
Yes, I know. This was a huge theme that we saw during SD Live. And so if we could lean in a little bit more on that and the, the, the conference that we had back in June, uh, for those that are attending today and didn't have the opportunity to, to learn there, could you share some of the insights that you that we saw around access to information, remote learning, and some of those trends and changes that we think are going to be here to stay, we hope? You know, the way I think that we typically do school in this country is doesn't work for every student. It's traditionally, you know, oriented towards kids who are more extroverted or who are able to sustain sitting and absorbing information, who are really good at taking time tests, things like that. And I think one of the things that we saw coming out of the pandemic is that suddenly there were some students that, um, that actually blossomed during the pandemic and being sort of more of a more online remote learning environment you know, students who learned in a different way or whether they felt like they were able to communicate in a different way and contribute in a different way because um, maybe they were a little more introverted. And then I think there were students that just, you know, in, enjoyed and appreciated being able to be a little bit more self-directed. So it didn't work well for every single student, um, but I do think that it kind of started a dialogue about how we could really differentiate and how we think about education differently. And I think we got a lot of data and insights about how students were progressing and learning um, during this phase of time. And so we want to make sure that we don't just kind of go back to the default, but we're actually taking advantage of all of those insights that we learned to make sure that we're supporting students in, in the right way and in ways that are gonna fit really well for them individually. Awesome, and it's a perfect segue to my next question for you, Stephanie, which is with all of these findings and learnings uh, and the things that we've seen that have worked for some and not for others, how has that affected what ISTE is doing for your members during your events for these virtual events that you're running? Can you talk a little bit about that for the audience? Absolutely. So we've certainly committed ourselves to a hybrid event going forward. In these past two iterations of our virtual environment, we've really been able to connect with international educators that maybe wouldn't have been able to travel to the U.S. for a host of reasons, and also U.S. educators that for a host of reasons as well, whether it's monetary or geographical, are not able to attend. So we've actually been able to reach a larger audience than maybe we wouldn't be able to be before. Um, let's go back to events and conferences and in the education industry, we know um, it's so much about peer and collaborative learning and it'd be great to expand on what that looks like and the value that an event like SD Live in person and virtually brings uh, to your community. And if you could expand on that, there's probably some, some pearls of wisdom that others uh, today can learn from. Absolutely. Yeah, so our community is very vibrant. We pull people from all over the country and they look forward every year to coming to the face-to-face -face conference to connect with each other. That's one wonderful thing about educators, right? They're not holding their knowledge close to their chest, right? They wanna share, they, they wanna like improve education across the board. And so really we get to convene the community for them to be able to do that. So when, when we had to pivot and go virtual, that was the core of our conversation is how do we allow them to continue to connect organically? How do we have those hallway conversations in a virtual world that can maybe sometimes feel more forced? So that's really where we committed a lot of our resources as we were designing the platform is, you know, where do we put chat? How do we put chat in multiple places? How do we allow them to connect via video chat if they wanna do that? What are the different connection points that maybe get them out in front of their computer and there's a daily challenge for them to engage with? So that was really at the core of all of our planning was how do we take this 
face-to-face component and not try and just fit it into virtual, but what are the core values that attendees find when they come to our conference? Let's keep that at the core of our planning and then move forward from there. I think those are all right on. I think thinking about some of the specific things that we did, we, you know, we had a game, we had daily design challenges. We did a lot of things that were not typical for a virtual event, I think, in terms of trying to really connect this audience back together. And I think the challenge for next year is going to be thinking about how do we do that in a hybrid way? So we kind of did this big thing in virtual. Now we need to plus up. How do we kind of bring the virtual audience together with our face-to-face audience and make sure that it still feels like one community, one event. Um, And so that I think is going to be the big challenge. But I think that, you know, the great thing about our particular audience educators is they, they want to do that. They want to collaborate. And so we have a little bit of a leg up on, on some um, conferences that may have a very different set of challenges, but it's been a really important, important part of kind of sustaining that community spirit throughout this time. And y'all did an amazing job. And I can't wait to be part of the challenge in, in the hybrid event. Um, Thank you. <laughs> you know, switch, switching switch in, uh, gears a little bit again. Um, with that shift into the virtual events for COVID, can you talk to the economics, the business model, your demographics? Did And, and you touched upon a little bit of the international element, but what else have you seen in terms of that change? Yeah, I mean, obviously there has been nothing so impactful to the events industry than than COVID. I mean, everything had to change overnight. Um, And, you know, there were things that we discovered, some of them Stephanie alluded to earlier, you know, it opened up some new audiences for us. I mean, certainly international and and U.S. attendees who wouldn't normally be able to afford it. But it also, like I mentioned earlier, even about students, it also kind of opened up a different set of behaviors from attendees who maybe don't love big conferences. They feel overwhelmed by them. They feel like they're sort of the face and the sea of, of lots of other faces where they were suddenly like the rock stars in this event. They were they were chatting and they were providing all these great insights. They were leading games, you know, so we saw some shifts in kind of some demographics, but a lot of it was behavior based. So we still had a lot of the same kinds of educators participating, but the people who kind of came to the forefront were a little bit different than what we've seen at our face-to-face events. Um, Certainly from a business model, I think we haven't kind of reached the, uh, the golden nugget in terms of understanding how to make it a sustainable business model for just doing virtual. That's where I think you'll see a lot more um, events coming up that will go to a hybrid model. I think there are things that we've all learned that are really beneficial that we don't want to lose as we move back to face to face. Um, But I think there are also some ways that the business models, depending on really what your focus is, like if you're a sponsor and if you are an exhibitor or somebody who's really trying to connect with the audience in a specific way, some of those things just do better in face to face. But there are other things we found that actually do better in virtual and there are ways to sustain the audience and be a little bit more closely connected with them for a longer period of time. And so I think a lot of event organizers right now are trying to figure out what are the ways that we take the best of both worlds as we carry forward in our next evolution. Can you talk a little bit about what you've seen in terms of the trends, the utilization, the consumption of content, both in the, 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 the virtual event, around the virtual event, after the virtual event, you know, in, as a comparison to what you've seen in prior years with face-to-face events. Has it been what you've expected or you know, what, what are your key learnings there? We really, as we mentioned, 2020 was really all kind of about being that life raft and helping educators feel like they could, you know, focus on the content that they're giving to their students and we could try and help with the tools. And so really, as we went into 2020's conference, which was this time last year, 
it was all about let, let's give them six months to come back and access the recordings of all of the sessions. And we really had no idea what the uptake of that would be, but we were like, let's be generous with this and see how it goes. I think we were very surprised to see consistently all along those six months, people were logging in at numbers and for lengths of time we really didn't anticipate. We kind of thought, okay, maybe we'll send out a reminder midway through that don't forget about the platform or, hey, you have one month left to access and we might see some bumps along that. It was really consistent. We did see some upticks with those reminders, but it was really consistent all along for them to really come back and engage with that, which I think is something that we're certainly carrying forward as we head back to hybrid and what we've continued to hear from our audience, especially at our event in June, that was, as you go back face-to-face, -face, please give us the recordings, please give us access to the content because it's so hard to you know, be on one end of a convention center in a session feel like you're missing out on seven other things that are happening at the same time and trying to decide what you're going to go to. I'm going to, I'm going to combine based on what we've been talking about a couple of questions right now, which is really one, that content side that you've, that we've talked about. Do you see anything from what you all have delivered that is portable to other non-education industries, some you know, pieces of advice or wisdom that you've seen through ISTE Live, and then wrapped around that, you know, the, the, the virtual, the hybrid event we're talking, this virtual event plays a role when you go back next year to New Orleans? Yeah, I mean, I think in, in pivoting to virtual, I think attendees have gotten smarter. And regardless of whether you're in education, whatever field you're in, they've gotten smarter in terms of thinking about you know, I pay hundreds, sometimes thousands of dollars to attend a PD event, attend a conference, and I actually only get to tap into a handful of sessions while I'm there. If you really count up the dollars per session, it, it is quite expensive. And suddenly, I think having access to be able to see everything that happened at a conference, suddenly it creates a lot more value. So I think that that's something that we all need to be thinking about as we're going back into a hybrid environment is what is the value we're providing and like really measuring that and, and looking at the ways that we can be providing greater value for folks. I think that there's an opportunity for us to have a more sustained year-round sort of relationship with them and relationship with their own PD plans. Um, so that's one trend that I think that that we're going to start seeing is people really understanding and differentiating what they really, really need. Um, I think like looking ahead to next year, I think personalization is a really big factor. And for like event marketers and event creators, producers, like thinking and being really closely aligned around this because we're, you know, we're in a position where we have a tremendous amount of data from the last two years. We know what topics people were interested in. We know where they dwelled. We know the people who wanted to be connectors and the ones who wanted to sort of dip in and dip out of content. We have this incredible ability right now with the data that we have to market and to craft an experience that is so well honed. It's about having enough time to mine the data and about having um, enough time to, to really think about how to craft that message. But we have the tools that we need. Anyone who has done a virtual event in the last two years has a tremendous amount of data that can really make that relevant. Um, and I think the other piece is really just thinking about how do we how do we create that that custom experience for each person that's going to feel comfortable and kind of meets their needs in the moment and and doing that in a way that that has a lot of flexibility built in are there any pieces of advice from what you've seen in the isd live the virtual events and your you know in-person events in terms of how you can other marketers can take 
findings from ISTE and um, approach their event with yeah, some sure. recommendations. So we really, in the move to virtual, right, you're losing that exhibit hall experience, which the attendees loved, I think, just as much as the exhibitors love. It's really hard to replicate that, right? You're not having those hallway or pathway conversations. You're seeing what someone's doing. It's really engaging. So we actually went a direction for our conference in June that was more focused on content. And it was really about educating our sponsors and exhibitors on you maybe don't have all the solutions. You have access, though, to the greatest focus group you could ever hope for. All of these educators know exactly what challenges they're coming to, what solutions they're hoping for. So if you actually ask the question, you're going to hear all of the research that you hope you could ever find. So then what are you doing with that to then go craft products that are going to help solve those challenges for educators? If you do that, you're going to have a lifelong supporter of your company because that's really what they're hoping for. So from our end, we were really saying, Come to this conference and share information about your products, but also be really open and willing to ask questions and listen. Instead of just pushing out content, it needs to be a two-way conversation. So we definitely saw um, greater engagement, greater attendance in sessions because of that, because it didn't feel like attendees were just sitting in a sales pitch session. It felt more engaging, like a content session that they would opt into going to. You know, we're, we're almost at the end of our time. So before we go, I'm wondering if each of you can provide one more takeaway piece of advice for the event marketers and operators that are on today's uh, session in terms of what they should do and adopt in their 2022 event strategy and plans. Jennifer, yeah, I think it's, I think 2022 right? is going to be all about choice and comfort. What do we need to do to make an attendee feel in control of a set of choices that will make the event experience feel really um, comfortable and productive for them? Um, especially in the face-to-face -face space, people are still going to be, you know, wherever we are with COVID at that point, there's going to be some, you know, concern or just rustiness even in terms of getting back into to sort of working in a face-to-face -face space in that way. Um, so some people are going to want to participate in a really hybrid way, going to some sessions face-to-face, -face, utilizing stream sessions or other things that they can do to kind of build out the rest of the plan. Some may be online only, some may be face-to-face -face only. I think for event marketers, um, the biggest challenge is going to be how to make each path sound appealing and give enough details to help attendees really know what are the choices that they're designing for, um, how to design their own optimal learning experience, and then at the same time, not cannibalizing one option in favor of the other. I certainly think it it's not treating the virtual attendees and the face-to-face -face attendees as one homogenous group that are all attending for the same reason. I think you really have to get to the core of, okay, a virtual attendee, why are they coming to the conference? What are they hoping to gain out of it? And maybe why did they make that choice? Versus what is the face-to-face -face attendee hoping to get and gain and connect and that type of thing? You may see overlaps, absolutely, and that's great. Those are those connection points where you can bring them together and have them collaborate together. But don't be afraid to understand there may be two very distinct experiences for each group. And how are you going to maximize that and use that as you design your conference and content and those types of pieces that it's, it's okay that you maybe have disparate experiences because that's maybe what they're looking for. Uh, Jennifer, Stephanie, I just want to thank you for taking the time today, sharing your thoughts and insights for this audience on all the highly engaging things you all have done with ISTE Live, your in-person events, last year's virtual event, and I look forward to seeing what happens. Uh, thanks for all you do 
to make sure that we drive awareness and technology technology utilization in and around the classroom. It's paramount and your mission is one that we fully support. So I very much appreciate it. Thank you for spending time with me today. Thanks, Ira. And thank you for the partnership. Kaltura was a great partner on our June event and our event this past weekend as well. So we're really excited to see what next year looks like and, and to sort of be learning together as we go through this next phase. Thanks, Ira. Appreciate being included in Virtually Live and look forward to what you and everyone else does as we move forward in, in kind of this new realm of events. Thanks for listening. Next week, we talk to the experts at Esri and their partners at Freeman about the influence that live television had on their format and audience engagement. Not only that, but we'll also dive into the outcomes it had on their technology and production process. 